All right, who are my live music fans in the crowd? This is like Milwaukee Hope of Summerfest, so I'm thinking most of you, right? Okay, if that's you, start thinking in your head about um, the best shows that you've ever seen. And more importantly, start thinking about where it was that you saw these shows. And start thinking about, in this particular venue, was this a place where you looked up to see the show or where you looked down? All right, you guys all thinking about that? Awesome. Okay, let's see. Top venues for live music. Let's see. Who knows? Ooh, if it will work. I might need your help, Jeff. Who knows this one? This is the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, California. Anyone been there? Nope. Yes. Greg, what did you see? Elton John. Excellent. Okay, so... Hollywood Bowl sits over 17,000 people, um, has hosted shows for everyone from Judy Garland, Louis Armstrong, Elton John, Black Sabbath. The Beatles released a live album here in 1965, Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Monty Python did their last ever full show here, as did Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It is known, of course, for its iconic band shell backdrop and you could even see I believe although not really in this picture the letters of the Hollywood sign on the hills in the distance all right how about uh, next one Jeff Radio City the showplace of the nation anyone seen a show here oh my goodness you lucky duck a couple of you uh, oh yes um, headquarters for the Rockets, you guys good, you know your trivia. Yeah, so originally designed to be an opera house, then converted to mostly do um, stage shows. They have hosted a lot of concerts and also over the years, live TV events, including the Grammy Awards, Tony Awards, Emmys, and bizarrely, at least to me, the NFL Draft. What? All right, next one. This is probably the most iconic. Who knows what this is? Red Rocks. Who's been to a show there? Oh, just a couple of you. Okay. Red Rocks located outside of Denver. Very good. Seats about 10,000 people. And um, they, you know, it's the stage is right between two enormous sandstone bluffs, which makes for top-notch acoustics and just like jaw-droppingly beautiful backdrops. This venue won the award for the top outdoor music venue so many times that they actually had to rename the award, the Red Rocks Award, so that they would be out of contention and not be able to keep winning. Okay, one last one. There's no way anyone's going to know this one. Yeah, it could be a lot of places. This is the Cherry Bar in Melbourne, Australia. No one's heard of this, right? Okay, I'll tell you in a moment why I had to include it. So it, just, it doesn't get much more rock and roll than this. The address of the bar is number one ACDC Lane. It's a basement bar with sticky carpets and lots of graffiti. And <laughs> I had to include it for just this one little fact. They actually turned down an offer to perform from Lady Gaga because they had a local band that was already scheduled to play. So guess what Lady Gaga did? She showed up anyways and partied with the locals all night. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Uh, you can switch it off. All right, good stuff. Well, there is 
a wonderful TED Talk by a woman named Ash Beckham. And she's gay, and she's like kind of a tomboy, so sometimes she, people will mistake her for a guy. And this used to be really upsetting to her. Like she would, she would be embarrassed, and she'd be angry that they were making assumptions about her. And then she tells, she tells this fabulous story. And it goes like this. So, a few years ago, she says, I was working as a server in a local diner. And I was in what I like to call my militant feminist phase. And so, depending on the bagginess of my cargo shorts and how recently I had buzzed my head, the question would sometimes be posed to me, usually by a little kid. Um, are you a boy or a girl? An awkward silence would ensue. And the parents would be just shooting daggers at their kids. And I would clench my jaw, she says, and I would clench my fist on the coffee pot. And I would just walk away and not say anything. And it kept happening. And so it got to the point, she said, where any time I came to a table with a kid between like 3 and 10 years old, I was just ready. I was ready to fight. And that's a terrible feeling. So I decided the next time this happened to me, I was going to say something. I was going to stand up for myself. And I was going to put them in their place. And then next time came, are you a boy or a girl? But this time she says, I was ready. I had a whole speech prepared. I was all geared up. I was going to go all women's studies 101 on this table. So I take a deep breath, and I look down. Looking up at me is this little four-year-old girl in a pink dress. No big threat, just a kid with a question. So she says, I knelt down, and I said, hey, I know it's kind of confusing because my hair is short like a boy's and I wear boy's clothes, but I'm a girl. And you know how like sometimes you want to wear your pink dress and sometimes you want to wear your comfy jammies? Well, I'm just more of a comfy jammies kind of girl. And this girl looks her dead in the eye and without missing a beat, she says, my favorite jammies are purple with fish. Can I have a pancake, please? <laughs> and that was it. That was it. Okay, you're a girl. Now how about that pancake? Has anyone picked up where I'm going with all of these random things so far? Did anyone pick up on the clue in verse 1 that sets the scene for the gospel? Jesus looked, Jesus looked up, and then he speaks. So... These verses, we call them the Beatitudes. We get them twice, two different versions in our Bible, one's in Matthew, one's in Mar or one's here in Luke. The really big version between the two is that in Matthew, it's just the blessings, right? Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, who are meek. Blessed are you who are hungry, mourning, merciful. But then in Luke, Jesus, after the blessings, goes on and adds these woes. Woe to you who are rich, who are full, who are happy. Woe to you of whom people speak well. Have you heard that saying, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable? Well, in Matthew, Jesus is comforting the afflicted. In Luke, Jesus goes on to afflict the comfortable. So that's the big difference between the two different versions. There's another small difference that I think in the end actually isn't that small. Uh, which is this. In the version in Matthew, Jesus is talking to big, big crowds. And so he goes part way up a mountain so that they can all see him 
and hear him. So there he is up there, and the crowds are down here all looking up at him. In the Gospel of Luke, that's the reverse. Jesus is with his closest friends and followers, and it says that he looks up. So presumably he's seated, right? He's seated and teaching, and they're all gathered around him to listen. That wouldn't be uncommon for how a rabbi would teach in those days. So think about that for a moment, right? This is not, this is not Cherry Bar or Radio City, where, at least for people who have enough money that are lucky enough to have a front row seat, where the show is up there, right? Think about all of those front row fans with their hands raised trying to get a piece of their heroes. This is not that. This is the Hollywood Bowl or Red Rocks or better yet, this is a server in a diner kneeling down to be on that level with that kid to say, hey, this is who I am. Thanks for letting me be who I am. And that's a big difference, right? Can you picture that? Like, can you picture these two scenes in, in your head? And this, that's a really big difference between someone towering over you and lecturing down and someone looking up. Now, it doesn't take all the teeth out of Jesus' words, right? This is still a pretty in-your-face passage to say, hey, if you are being rich, you're being rich, or you are um, having everything that you want, or you aren't having anything bad happen to you, those aren't gifts from God. If anything, those are spiritual liabilities. They're going to make it even harder for you to connect with God and the people around you. But it does soften the edges, I think, um, because it's not someone towering over us and wagging their finger at us, which, if we're honest, is like how a lot of us think about God a lot of the time. And it's not like that. Instead, it's someone kneeling down next to us and looking up at us and saying, hey, friend, you are getting in your own way. Let me show you a better way to live. It's a leveling of the field. And the same kind of thing is happening in the second section. Let's see what verses are that. This is about the turn of the other cheek in the shirt. So 27 to 31. It's that same kind of thing. It's a leveling of the field. So like uh, turning the other cheek, if someone hits you on the right, turn to them also the left. If, if somebody, a right-handed person, presumably is hitting you on the right cheek, that means they're, they're backhanding you. And that's the way that, like, in that day at least, that's the way that you would um, treat a child or a slave, someone way, way beneath you. So when you turn the other cheek, not only are you not stooping to their level, but you are saying, if you hit me again, you don't get to be, do that kind of belittling gesture to me. If you hit me again, you're going to have to come at me with a forehand. So however bad you treat me, you will treat me as an equal. And it's kind of the same thing with the shirt, too. Right, if they ask for your coat, give them also your shirt. Because if you're standing there half naked in front of them, your nakedness is shameful, not to you, but to them who put you in that position. Leveling up the field. So for me, or someone like me who is, um, you know, I have more than I need, I love to eat, I'm genuinely pretty happy. It's almost like uh, I hear God saying to me, hey, Mo. Don't be so certain about things. Things are not always the way that they seem. And it's like God's reminding me that I need to be really careful about how I categorize things, right? 
whether it's people around me or events that happen to me or characteristics about myself, I need to be really cautious if I'm tempted to label things as bad or as good, right? Because when God gets involved, and God usually does, lines blur, walls come down, things get messy. Things that we thought were strengths about us end out to be, turn out to be weaknesses. Things that we thought were weaknesses turn out to be strengths. Blessings turn out to be curses. Curses turn into blessings. What we thought were heroes become villains, and people we dismissed as villains turn out to be the heroes. This is one of a million times in our Bible that Jesus takes everything we think we know and just turns it up on its head. And it's not always like super comfortable to be following a God like that. Um, it's confusing, and sometimes it's just like, man, I wish we had some a little more certainty, a little, something a little bit more solid to stand on. But the good news about all of that upheaval is that it keeps us humble about our strengths and hopeful about our weaknesses. And that is a really great way to live. Humble about our strengths and our successes and hopeful about any weaknesses we have or any suffering we endure. We still can hope that God can take that and turn it to the good. So that's what I'm praying for today. And if any of you are in the same place, you can join me with that same prayer. So will you pray with me? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, keep us humble about our strengths and hopeful about our weaknesses. And give us a front row seat, oh God, as you having come down here to be with us in Jesus, lift all of us up together to new life in you.